Great. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. And uh, today is going to be a different kind of a session where I'm only going to do Q&A, mainly because we're going to talk about communication and stakeholder management for product managers, product leaders, and there's just so much breadth to this topic as seen in your questions as well. So I want to cover as much of that breadth as possible. We'll, of course, with any of my sessions, we'll go deep as well. We might go super deep into certain areas, but yeah, we're just going to focus on questions. A lot of you've posted these questions on Slido. If you see a question that, uh, you know, either you posted or you upvoted, I might sometimes ask like for clarification. So feel free to just unmute yourself and uh, share your perspective when I ask for it. And, uh, and I'll also take just live questions based on our discussion thus far. So I'll just pause for some live questions as well. So we can get a mix of the Slido questions and the live questions. And then lastly, keep yourself muted the whole time. But again, when called upon, feel free to come off mute. All right. The first question was, in your experience, what is managing up? And how do you approach it? Any process, tactics, etc. And so I wanted to start by observing that I've never been very good at managing up. And I realized that was a problem and much later in my career, much later, just over the last five years or so, I realized that was a problem. And the reason some of us have this kind of allergic reaction to managing up is because there we've seen, all of us have seen some people who do it in a way that is not not a high integrity way and so that leads to politics and similar kind of tendencies the aspect of managing up that i particularly disliked was throughout my career i noticed that some people were not very skilled at the core job at the core pm job and were having somewhat suboptimal impact on their product or to put another way, the way I evaluate product performance is like, what is the current performance versus what I think the potential is of this product or this idea or this business or this team. And so there were people who came in way below potential, were not particularly skilled at the PM, the core PM role or the core PM leadership role but were extremely skilled in this idea of managing up. And so when that happened, you notice that there were some people who would get promoted. And it, in fact, what happens is like most people think, oh yeah, of course, this person, it makes sense. But sometimes I would go, no, actually this, I know this person's not very skilled. I know their product is just flailing. And despite that, they're getting promoted, etc. cetera. And, and promotion is one version of it, right? So there's recognition, there's various levels of that. So that part, I found very, I just had a distaste for it. And for most of my career, I said, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm not going to be like these people. And I'm just going to let my work stand by itself, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say that kind of slowed down my growth. Oh, some people are, are you reporting? Do you think there's a lag somewhere? Is it true for others? I just saw in the chat. Okay. All right. So some folks are saying no, no lag. Okay. All right. We'll continue. Janani, maybe something slow at your end, perhaps maybe the internet connection. Oh, there's a little background noise that shouldn't be happening. Give me one second while I try to troubleshoot that. Okay. All right. Some folks are saying no background noise. I confirmed that it's my mic that is getting the audio. So it should be good. All right. So I was on the topic of, I went the opposite way. And what I realized is that like, you can be good at your work. So this is the main point. Like you need to first understand 
you can be both good at your work and be proactive about managing up. Okay. And that's the aspect that like took me a while to understand. Now, what is managing up? So in my view, managing up has a few key components. Number one is that you proactively make effort to understand what your management wants from you and from your team. Okay. And I'm going to expand a little on that point, which is when you are really great at the PM job, sometimes what happens is that you know what needs to be done and you just start doing it, right? You don't need much direction. That was certainly the case with me. Like I, I needed very little direction. I knew exactly what needed to be done. I was usually right about it and I would just do it. And I would, of course, not be deaf to what other people have to say. In fact, that's the way I figured out what needed to be done. But I wasn't constantly or regularly checking in with my management on, hey, how are we doing? And here's some progress. Is this aligned with what you're expecting? That sort of thing. Because I just felt like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what the team is doing and we're going to be fine. So that was the, that was my sort of tendency. So I'm going to stop sharing so folks can see me better. So that was my tendency. And that is problematic because what your management wants is they want to feel reassurance that things are going well. Right? And oftentimes you have to over communicate that reassurance if things are going well, instead of just letting the numbers speak for themselves or just relying on the quarterly business review or whatever other processes to share progress, right? So for instance, one aspect of managing up in this context is sending regular status updates, right? And that is something earlier in my career, I didn't feel like I needed to do because I hate them. I just, frankly, I hate writing status updates and I just, that's just not me. There are people who love writing status updates. There's no right or wrong, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong to write status updates. I just dislike it. The reason I dislike it is actually because I have ingrained the LNO framework, right? And, and in my mind, a status update is rarely an L task, or at least it was like, I'll tell you how my thinking changed on this, but a status update was rarely an L task, usually an N task and often enough an O task. So I'm like, why am I spending time on this when I have six other clear L tasks to do, and they're also more fun for me, right? So there's both the analytical aspect and the fun aspect of it. They just didn't write as many status updates, right? And later on, as I became a PM leader, what I did is I kind of delegated some of those things to others, which is, I don't like it, but this person on my team loves it and it's necessary. So why don't you write it? And then that gets to the other point is sometimes somebody on my team would write the status update and then I would just say, okay, yeah, you just send it. Like some managers like make their team members write it and then they send it, the manager sends it. In my case, I was just like, yeah, you just send it. Now it turns out that also ended up being a problem sometimes because you know, I'm a leader who likes to operate behind the scenes. I don't want to be like front and center and scene. Again, there's nothing wrong with being a leader who wants to be front and center, but 
again, people have different preferences. I like operating behind the scenes. My philosophy for team leadership is that my teams are doing great, both business-wise, success-wise, quality-wise, and happiness-wise. But nobody can point to anything I did to make that happen. Because the way I like to manage is make people feel that it's their idea, right? Make people feel that they did everything, right? Even though I may have significantly nudged or influenced the thing, that, that was my leadership style. So anyways, for a variety of reasons, this is an example where, yeah, you need to be in constant touch with your sort of management and leadership. And you need to figure out async ways like status updates or synchronous ways. Certainly use more time in one-on-ones with your manager, right? To keep communicating wins and overemphasizing them. Even if your manager knows about it, sometimes just emphasize that because some managers don't remember everything. They can't keep state and so on. So that aspect is very important. Okay. So that's one, one aspect of managing up. We're going to go deep and then we're going to come out, right? So one aspect of managing up is just like being in constant and regular touch with your management about what is going on, about understanding what they want, about understanding, making them understand what's going on with your business, right? Or product. Okay, so that's one aspect. The other aspect of managing up is making clear to your management where you need your, uh, their help and what aspects of your job are really difficult. Okay, so on this point, uh, I'll share my personal experience. I think everyone, if you're here, you probably or almost certainly read my piece about high agency. If you haven't, just Google high agency Shreyas, you'll find it. I'm a huge believer in high agency. And that's what made me who I am. And we all double down on our core strengths and our core kind of attributes that make us really good at whatever we do. And so I've definitely doubled down on the high agency thing, right? Which all sounds great. But here's the problem when you have very high agency, which I have had for as long as I can remember. When you have very high agency, the challenge is that you are not afraid of any problem and you make every problem, oh, I'm going to solve this. And some of an aspect of high agency, and you can see that in the thread, is self-confidence, right? So you also have that confidence of, yeah, I'll be able to solve this. And so because of that, what happened is that, like, I did not escalate to my management enough, okay? And I also did not complain or just express frustration to my management enough as I was doing my various jobs. Right. Because I felt, yeah, there's a challenge and yeah, the, whatever the chief legal officer or this general counsel or whoever else is not on the same page, but I'll get him or her on the same page. It's fine. Right. Like it's okay. Give me two meetings with the person. They'll be on the same page. Right. So like, why bring it up in the one-on-one when I can bring up other things that like are perhaps more important, whatever it is, right? Like for some hiring thing or headcount thing or some like promotion thing for somebody on my team or some other issue, whatever it is, some funding issue. So I did not escalate enough and I did not, perhaps even more importantly, the second part is even more important, which is I did not share with my management proactively what the really difficult parts of my job were. Because when we express frustration and when we tell our manager, oh, this is not going right and this 
cross functional partner is not listening and whatever else what ends up happening is we are effectively we are trying to problem solve with them but we are also conveying to them that look my job is hard and then they have concrete examples of how your job is hard right and at some point say especially in startups and mid stage startups even late stage startups what will happen is because it's very fast paced things are changing all the time your managers busy with 50 other things plus sometimes and this is the most important part sometimes your manager doesn't have necessarily all the skills yet to be a great pm leader right now there's a reason they are the, your manager they're exceptional at certain things all i'm saying is they don't have all the skills to be a great pm leader yet they are just still developing right in those situations when they don't get this visibility into your frustrations your challenges etc and you're not escalating that much all of which i was guilty of and what ends up happening is they don't actually understand that your job is so hard right when you are a really strong pm leader when you understand product management very deeply and when you've had sufficient experience managing pms you can be quite intuitive about this meaning you don't need somebody on your team to tell you their frustrations to understand how hard the job is you can just look at the shape of the problem and the team you need some understanding basic understanding of the shape of the problem the team they are dealing with the main issues they are facing whether it's regulatory or privacy related or security related or compliance whatever it is whatever set of issues they are facing the personalities they are facing you can quickly intuitively get to the point of okay this person's job is actually really hard this person's job is okay medium difficulty and this person's job is on the easier side of the spectrum you don't need your reports to give you anecdotes on a weekly basis for you to create that model early in my career especially at google i had these kinds of managers who were like extremely intuitive about yeah okay this most of them not all of them but most of my managers at google they had a very high intuition about this stuff so i did not get dinged very much for not sharing with them all my problems and not escalating enough and what not but later on it became more of a problem right in some cases you know particularly at stripe there were people managing me who had less kind of product management expertise than i did now again there was a good reason why they were managing me they were my managers the point is then they found it much more difficult to understand me so that's second again popping back out second aspect of managing up is escalating when you need to and clarifying the difficult parts of your job okay a third aspect of managing up is really aligning your product as much as you can with what your management's priorities are okay and if you're high enough in the company it's usually the ceo's priorities right aligning your project your product your team as much as possible with their stated current priorities now this one has two components to it one is are you actively soliciting what they're worried about are you actively soliciting what their priorities are are you actively soliciting how you can help them etc right that's one aspect 
of this. And the other aspect is then actually doing the alignment, right? Realigning your priorities, your strategy, etc. With whatever is being proposed, right? At the higher levels. And I don't mean this in the macro sense, right? Like, of course, like if the company priorities for 2023 are ABC, right? Everybody aligns there. But the people who are very good at managing up are constantly checking in, right? They're much more aware of what is the CPO thinking right now, right? Like, where is their head right now, like this week, and then two weeks from now, and then three weeks from now. They also try to join certain meetings where they can get that signal, that real-time signal. Because again, in a fast-paced organization, many things happen very quickly, right? So, herein lies the problem. And this is why this stuff is sometimes hard. And certainly this is why it was hard for me is I was very good at understanding what my manager wanted and understanding how I can help my manager in his or her goals. But sometimes that felt a little random, both sort of my manager's goals, or maybe my manager wasn't even aware what their goals were. And sometimes the company, like the, 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 the trend du jour, right? Okay, we're going to do this. And if you've been at a company like long enough, you can know, oh, this is going to, it's not actually going to work. They're going to say this month and then next month they're going to do something else. Right. I've seen this movie enough times before and it's not cynicism. It's not coming out of cynicism or disdain for anybody. It's just coming out of an understanding of the organization. Right. So in those cases, I would try to shield my team from this stuff. And sometimes here's an interesting thing that happens in particularly medium sized. So several thousand people to larger tech companies, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, something gets announced, then teams are told, oh, everybody needs to figure out how you can make this initiative successful. Everybody in this org, like figure out, like, how can you make this Project Sigma successful, whatever Project Sigma is, and then create your proposals. And, and in this case, what happens is there are some teams who are implicated by Project Sigma, who can have a very meaningful role in making Sigma successful. But for most teams, the role is minor, right? And it is a little bit of signaling, basically, which is, oh, we are so committed to Sigma that everybody is going to try to make Sigma successful. But then if your team is only going to marginally be helpful or actually not helpful at all in your view. So in my view, when that was the case, I was like, I'm not going to bother with this stuff. Like, why should I? This makes no sense. We're not going to be able to influence Sigma or whatever in a way that is expected. So I would try to get out of it. And again, I would usually be successful in getting out of it because of my ability to influence my manager and other people. But that doesn't mean that did not leave a bad taste, right? So it's really important to remember that like when you do this, or certainly when I did this, like there was a cost to it, right? I wasn't managing up well in this situation. And you have to decide, right? I'm not saying do what I did, right? Because like certainly some of these things have been minor blips sometimes in my career where I felt like, oh, I should have gotten a higher rating, but I did not, whatever. Again, I've done extremely well, luckily. So like I have zero, zero regrets about anything, but I'm just sharing my experience of some kind of minor blips 
along the way and what were some of the reasons for those right so you have to decide right if you decide that you're going to just show complete alignment that's fine that does come at the cost of perhaps your product will not do as well or your team will feel whiplash sometimes as you change priorities based on what management wants so it does come at a cost but even that sometimes that cost is not that high we might think that's very high but sometimes it's not and there are benefits to your career of doing that right so that's another aspect of managing up i'm going to share with you this thing i tweeted it was just a couple of days ago and it's this right here which is how to manage up i tried to summarize a lot of my tweets are like i obviously as i try to make them as concise as possible while being clear right not being enigmatic being clear so i've tried to summarize like what could be several chapters of a book on managing up into a couple of tweets which is and this part is important right like how to manage up with integrity because there are other like kind of low integrity ways of doing this but these are the high high integrity ways of doing it right we talked about this we talked about this right and then the next aspect is yeah seek your manager's input on your next career milestone so that would be my next point right which is involve them this i did decently well but this part i did not do as well ask for ad their advocacy please you're not sharing Thank oh you. sorry oh yes please thank you thank you for reminding me here okay thanks for that so anyway because i wasn't sharing what i was saying is these i've covered already in our conversation today but th this one i did not do as well especially this part i did not do as well and it turns out that asking for advocacy is important it's really important because uh, it, depending on the culture by the way of the company and the country the region you are in but certainly in the us like that whole thing like of squeaky wheel gets the grease true in fact like it's true in almost every culture meaning every company culture within the us that i have encountered right whether or not they say it ultimately the one who's a little more squeaky uh, the manager see the manager has limited chips right on in front of them so who are they going to use these chips for right a lot of it of course competence is a requirement but once you have competence this part does matter if you are a little more in a classy way and actually in my pm career course we go through a whole module where we talk about this for one plus hour we just focus on this on the topic of how do you get more recognition so there's a lot of detail here and a way you can do it with finesse but the point here i want to make is you need to do it we talked a little bit about this uh, communicate your wins so these two i did very well right so these of all the aspects of managing up these other ones i actually learned from people who reported to me who managed up well right and from other peers and other people in the organization who i thought managed up well so from observing them right these are the only two points of managing up that i did well this one not so much early in my career early in my career i used to be like oh if i share bad news then it's going to make me look bad and it's going to make me look incompetent so maybe earlier in my career i did not do this well but this one i always had this goes back to the high agency stuff and whatever right so again as i say here this is not for everyone there are other ways there are other kind of ways to hack managing up that other people have talked about in the past so you can refer to other literature not all but like some other literature and those hacks do work those hacks do work but again if you're saying like hey we want to do it with very high integrity right 
then these are the core ways. So hope that's helpful. This is obviously an important topic. So it's almost spent whatever it is, 20 minutes on it, but it's almost like a mini course that I can give on this topic is encapsulated in the past 20 minutes. I'll pause here. If there is like maybe a question or two related to this, it would be great to have that. Oh yeah, Shika, go ahead. Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about the part about ask for advocacy from your managers. Yeah, so the general point here is clarify to your manager. Like once you've clarified your career aspirations and your career milestones that you want to get to, ask your manager, what kind of advocacy will you need to do to make this happen? It's a very objective, dispassionate conversation. And again, in my career management course, I share a whole template that you can use to enable that conversation. But the point is, you don't like just start with just ask them, right? What kind of advocacy will you need to do right, to enable me to get to the next milestone? Right? And if they are not commit non-committal about it, which some managers will be is, I don't know, it's not clear. These things are very silly, whatever. They're just kind of brushing it off. Then perhaps, oh, can I share a few ideas about what advocacy will be helpful? And of course, they'll say, yes, sure, share ideas. And then share, right? Oh, actually, I need this kind of visibility. I need this kind of visibility. I need to be on this kind of whatever. There is a committee that's redesigning the PM interview process. Could you advocate for me to be on that committee so I can show cross-org leadership, which is needed to go from director to senior director, right? So come up with concrete examples of the kinds of opportunities where the, your manager will have to vouch for you. So that's one version of it. The other version of it is ask for ways for the manager to highlight the good work your team is doing, right? Like how can you highlight some of the good work that my team is doing? Again, prerequisite is that your team is doing good work, right? But to the extent that it is, ask for that. And when you ask for that, there might be some ideas like, oh, actually, yes, I'll let this board member know about this, or I'll let the CEO know, or whatever it is. So just have a way of, there are like 50 things you can do here. The point is, have a way of being able to have that conversation, right? Without feeling awkward. And it's easy to say, it's hard to do, but that's a messaging problem. Like you, with the right kind of messaging, you can have a very objective, dispassionate, sincere conversation about this topic. All right, I'll take one more question. Let's go with Janani. Thank you, Shreyas. I wanted to double click on that high agency part. A very specific problem I'm dealing with at this point is when you're high agency, you see everything as problems and you go try and solve the problems. But what's happening is I when in the future, when you are asked to provide reviews for your peers or stakeholders, you don't recognize that they are, are problems or there are improvements or feedback that you can provide to them. Instead, you internalize that those are problems that you needs to be solved and you solve them. Have you like had experience navigating such situations? Just to understand. So these are situations where you're going ahead and solving whatever the problem is. Yeah. And your come review cycle or promotion cycle or a performance review cycle, you are not able to provide actionable feedback to your peers because you don't recognize those as feedback opportunities. Instead, you see them as organizational problems to be, to be solved. 
Okay, so this is not about yourself. This is about how do you give as a high agency person feedback? Yeah, yeah. To other folks who may perhaps need to step up their game. Yes. Okay, but like the fact that you ask this question, you're already on your way to solving it, because actually, what happens to most people is like really high agency people is they don't they solve all these problems. First of all, like one problem with high agency people is sometimes they don't have the best. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes they're not in the best kind of mental health space because they're just so they, everything is a problem. I'm I will solve, and so that just creates a lot of stress and load on them, right? And then what happens is that like they just make everything. Oh, I can fix this. I can solve this. That sort of thing. That they might get help in the process but they take too much ownership sometimes when that happens they sometimes don't even realize they don't even realize that oh this is because of this problem arose because some team member is not pulling their weight so in some ways they give their team members a little too much leeway right and whether it's people on their team or whether it's people who report to them or people on the sort of like cross functional team engineering team etc So that's the common situation. Now, the embedded in your question is, oh, here's a high agency person who understands that, yeah, they solved the problem, but I also need to give feedback. Then that recognition is 90% of the battle, right? Which like, so I don't have a great recommendation beyond just saying the next step then is to learn how to give feedback, learn how to give feedback in a way that it's not awkward, in a way that you are you are being respectful of the person, you are being kind at the same time you are being candid and clear about what they need to change, and that is also not easy, but it is something all of us need to learn, and it is something that we will dread the first time we do it, the second time we do it, and the third, fourth, fifth, and tenth and fiftieth time you do it. you might still have some amount of concern or fear but this is the type of thing that you can basically the only way to solve it is by doing it often enough mm-hmm. right so recognize that now me me saying that this is the case is really not going to overcome the because you do have to go through the process of doing it but those are the only two components here right the recognition is 90% of it and the other percent other part of it is like being able to give feedback and being feeling like doing feeling like you can do it in a way that is kind at the same time is candid so hope that helps there was one other question here which i thought was interesting in the chat which is how do you manage i think nikhil asked this question how do you manage up when your manager has no time to going into the details no response and seems like they are 100% aligned and have trust with you how much do you actively push or bring try bringing this up i love this question because this happens especially in high performance organizations that are growing really fast this is this does happen so what i will say here is the part in nikhil's question about and seems like they're 100% aligned and have trust with you that is the key part because if that is the case if they're very aligned they trust you but they don't have time they're an absentee manager right you are in a very good place because odds are very high that this is the category of manager who actually has very good intuition about the difficult parts of your job and so you don't need to tell them oh yeah by the way i fixed this problem and it was challenging but i fixed it or oh by the way no need for you to action this i just want to let you know this kind of cross functional team member is being difficult in this way but i got it 
no action required. I'll let you know if I do need your action. So that's how you convey it. Those are some examples, but that's how you convey, right? Oh, I'm dealing with these challenges. With this kind of manager, you don't necessarily need to do that, which is a great place to be. The, and in fact, if you, if you keep sending them Slack messages saying, Hey, I did this, I did, they might find it annoying, right? Like they might feel like you're not like, you don't have that awareness, kind of organizational awareness, self-awareness, that sort of thing. So it's useful to understand that. What do you do in these cases is like, basically the pro the thing at a premium here is the time, right? So the manager's time is very scarce. They're going to give you limited time. How do you best use that limited time? How do you best use that limited time? So you need to be at any point in your, like, like at a, during any week, right? Like you should be thinking about, this is a useful way of thinking about your more granular time, right? Day and week level, not month level or quarter level or year level, but day and week level. You should be clear. Am I currently focused on team or on me? Okay. And for most product managers, like the most of their days and weeks, it's focused on the team, team, meaning like everything, your goals and your execution, your strategy, the actual team members, all of that stuff. Cause we are leaders, right? Every PM, even if they're not a manager, we're still leaders. So that's why the team aspect is important. So most of the time you'll be focused on team stuff, right? But there are certain days and certain weeks in a year when the answer is me. Okay. And when that answer is me, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make it about yourself and to take the time to make it about yourself. So why do I bring this up? The most of the time with your manager, with such a manager, like, because the time is scarce, you're going to be able to only bring up one or two issues. I've had many such managers, by the way. So like, you'll be only able to bring up one or two issues, right? Like the top of your list. Most of the time that will be about team stuff, which is usually it is some sort of escalation or some sort of execution issue that you want either their advice on, or you want their active help on. So nine out of 10 one-on-ones or interactions with this kind of manager, you'll bring up that one thing or two things related to team, because right now you're focused on team this day, this week, you're focused on the team stuff. At some point, you can take off the team hat during certain times of the year and put on the me hat and then bring up like the me stuff, right? In this kind of, again, scarce time you have, how might you do it? Like you should do it on a regular basis anyway, right? You should do it at least one week in a, whatever, three, four month period, or even one day, right? Whatever it is. But that's when you say, Hey manager, I want to discuss my next career milestone, right? And I need your help with advocacy or I need your help with getting this project or whatever it is. Right. Or like the most, the times when I just put on the me hat and I properly put it on, right? Like I glued it onto my head was like when my performance review was coming up, like whatever, three, four weeks before that, when you're supposed to fill whatever out, that was one time that I would do it. And then I would actually do it like six months before the expected big performance review to align on expectations. So that's when I would also do it. So again, like just because that scarcity of time, you need to prioritize and this kind of me hat versus team hat is a good way of making yourself comfortable with putting on the me hat. 
Now, there are some people who are constantly, they have the me hat on and they like rarely have the team hat on, right? There's that as well. And I don't think that's the way we make, we make good products. I don't think that's the way you'll even be happy long-term as a PM, but there are such people. And frankly, if it makes them happy, that's great. So I hope that helps. I will go. I know there are a few other questions. Maybe we can get to them later. I want to go on to the next question that was asked. Let's see. I'm just going through. We covered a lot of stuff in this kind of just topic of managing up. Yeah, there's a theme around like cross-functional alignment. So there are a number of questions related to that. What techniques or frameworks have you found most useful for driving cross-functional alignment and every ensuring everyone is bought into a common goal? Aftar asked that question. There's another question, how to effectively hone relationships with higher level cross-functional org stakeholders over time for long-range impact? Yeah, there's just this theme is everywhere on cross-functional partners. So maybe I'll share some like high level thoughts and then I'd love to open up to questions on this kind of cross-functional topic. But look, the basic requirement you need to satisfy for effective cross-functional relationships is to instill trust in them that you have the right intent. Number one. Number two, to demonstrate to them over time that you have the competence. And number three, to reassure them that you have empathy for their role and for what they are trying to do and for their responsibilities in the organization which will be sometimes very different from yours. This is the formula for highly effective cross-functional relationships. Okay. And the third one to demonstrate empathy for their role is actually the first one I put into practice when I'm starting a relationship, say somebody in legal, somebody in biz dev, somebody in some other function because that, that one's the easiest. That one's the easiest to do and doesn't require a lot of shared context and so on. And the other two will take a little bit of time, but the third one is the easiest. And the way I do that is I do two things. So usually here's what happens in most companies, right? Say a new cross-functional counterpart that's crucial got assigned or you've joined a new team, whatever, right? So now you're meeting all these cross-functional people in support, in sales, in marketing, in 50 other places as a PM. So usually you'll do a one-on-one -on -one with them at some point, meet and greet. Hey, how are you? Blah, blah, all that stuff, right? And for my first conversation, my goal is to help them see that A, I have worked effectively with others in that role before, in their role before. Okay. And second is to express a high degree of curiosity and openness to understanding their role, their particular role. Okay. So the first one, you, you don't do the first one by saying, yeah, I've worked with 50 product marketing managers before, and here's a list of 
people I've worked with and they'll all say, it's not that. What you try to do is you, what I try to do is I, I will convey in the process of sharing my background, right? Usually in these one-on-ones, like you start with, oh, what's your background? Where did you go? Like, how long have you been at the company? Blah, 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 right? All of that stuff. So in the process of sharing my background, I will tailor it, right? Say, let's take a concrete example. Say I'm meeting a new kind of product council, so legal counterpart on the team, right? So I'll share my background and I'll share, oh, then as at Google, obviously I dealt very, I was working on some of the core business there in AdWords. And so I dealt with a lot of folks in legal and I'll share an anecdote. And this is all true, right? I'm not making shit up. Don't make shit up, obviously. But like each of us has such stories. So share with them, like, like when I was at Google, I was slightly new as a PM. This was many years ago. And you know, one of the things, one of my P counsel counterpart shared with me that stuck with me is that I used to keep going to him for, hey, do you approve this? Do you approve that? And at some point he stopped me and he said, no, don't use the term approve. So I said, why? Like, why don't we need legal approval? And they shared with me that actually we are here for advice, not for approval, right? Like ultimately the decision rests with you and the business side, right? We are here to advise you on risks. Now, of course, if you're going to do something illegal, we will let you know, and we will get in the way of that, obviously. But most, 99.99% of the things we do, they're not like black or white, kind of that sort of situation. It's about risk and managing risk and making trade-offs and that sort of thing. So I'll just, and I won't do it in every conversation with every legal counterpart, but if the situation is right, I'll share the story that like, this was 10 years ago, but this like really changed my perspective on the legal role. And then I do the other thing, right? The second part of what I said, which is, what do you think about this? Like, uh, how does legal work here? Say I'm just joining a company, right? I'm new to the company. And now I have this kind of legal counterpart. I'll ask them, like, is this aligned with the philosophy here? Or is there a different philosophy? Because I'd love to understand it. So what have I done with this just two, three minute exchange with, with this new person I met? I've conveyed to them that, oh yeah, I've had some strong relationships with folks in their profession because they felt open enough and like comfortable enough to tell me. And I have also conveyed to them that I am open-minded about this stuff and I'm curious about what their role is. So all of this is conveyed in, in the process of a regular conversation that two human beings are having. And it is not performative because I'm genuinely curious how legal works and how this person thinks about their job, etc. At the same time, it conveys a lot. It conveys a lot of kind of like context that for some people it takes like months to build. Like when I end this meeting, this person's already thinking, oh, I'm glad this person, like this PM got hired. I'm glad Shreyas got hired as the PM because he gets it. That's the, that's usually the effect I will have on the person based on my conversation with them. By the way, part of doing these things, I share two tactics, right? For like important for doing these things, right? Already mentioned the, like all of this, like needs to be genuine. So let's put that aside. The two tactics is you need to prepare for these conversations. You need to think through, don't just walk into the zoom or the room with, oh, hello, right? Just think, take five minutes to think. What do you want to say? That's really useful. One framework I have simple framework is for every meeting there are like there's two purposes, which is there's the capital P purpose, which is the reason why you set up the meeting, right? Whatever goal you want to achieve as a result of that meeting or whatever, 
Then there is the lowercase p purpose, right? Which is what do you want the person or the persons to feel? How do you want them to feel? How do you want them to feel about the team? How do you want them to feel about their situation, right? How do you want them to feel about you? And you actually, most people, especially the really ambitious kind of efficient folks. And by the way, I was this for many years. They just fixate on the capital P purpose, right? Like they're all business. Like, oh, like let's get this stuff done. That If you have that attitude, you are going to approach this meeting very differently because you're going to, like with legal, For again, I'm just using that as an example, where you're just going to focus on all the analytical stuff. Oh, so what do you do? How do we interact? What is the process? Like when is, how often should we send you stuff? What are the objective criteria when we should involve legal versus not? A lot of people have these types of conversations you're not going to satisfy the lowercase p purpose with this kind of attitude. And by the way, I'm highly introverted. I don't spend, most introverts I know, don't like to spend time on oh, 30 minutes of what you do over the weekend and like how many pets do you have and where do you go on vacation, whatever it is, right? Again, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying I don't like spending that much time on those types of topics. And so... When I say that, that lowercase p purpose, right? You don't have to just spend time on like kind of small talkish stuff. Again, if that's how you make connection with people, that's fine, right? Again, nothing wrong with it. But all I'm saying is even if you are like me and you don't want to spend time on all this other, that much of this other stuff, you can still achieve that lowercase p purpose, right? Which makes the person feel good about, oh, I now have a partner that I'm excited about working with. So just remember that sort of approach as you are starting the relationship, because once they understand that you understand their role and you have empathy for their role, things become so much, things become so much easier because when you have a situation of conflict, you can keep referring back to the conversation you had, which is, okay, I understand where you're coming from because I know that you mentioned that this topic is very important for legal and that's a much better way because most of the times your cross-functional counterparts, they're just concerned that you don't get it. Either that you don't get it or you don't care. You get it, but you don't care, right? That's, those are the two concerns they have. So you can eliminate those. There's a lot to talk about. Again, all of this can fill up like a whole day, each of these topics, but I'll pause here for questions on kind of the cross-functional stuff. Any questions? Go ahead, Pariti. Yeah, I have a question specifically on the last part we talked about the two purposes, broad purposes of a meeting. How does one assess that the lowercase p has been achieved? Because it's quite abstract, it's quite qualitative in nature versus the uppercase p, it's fairly straightforward. So any signals to look for that? Yeah, it requires one to be a good reader of people. And again, that's easy for me to say. It's not an easy skill to develop, but we all as product people, it's one of the essential skills we need to have. Even salespeople need to have it as an example. So but once you once you become a good reader of people, you can figure it out, right? Because from their nonverbal cues, even from what they say. Right. And did they mean what they said and that sort of thing? The, of course, the other thing is you don't need some of these things, right? You don't need a high degree of precision. Meaning I will say my general, a general philosophy I have is there are certain things you don't need to evaluate. You should do them, but you don't need to evaluate whether it was effective. Okay. And this is a very, this is not even related to communication. This is just a general life point. 
right? And it turns out each of us does many of these things anyway, where yeah. we do certain things, but we don't evaluate their effectiveness. But we do get some signals and signs that, okay, this is working fine. And so, yeah, so we should just do that because sometimes the evaluation thing kind of is either counterproductive or just like a waste of time or it's impossible. It might make us do things inorganically because we want to evaluate, yeah. right? And so now you're less authentic. So then you'll be less effective, right? There yeah. are all these kind of issues that come up if you get in your head that, oh, I need to be able to clearly objectively evaluate the lowercase p purpose. So I hope that helps. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's because we are building goodwill uh, in this sense. So it's, yeah, the framework is indicative, but it's not absolutely required that we evaluate the small Thank you. Yep. Any other questions about this whole cross-functional stuff? Yeah, I shared three points, right? Those are the three core principles of effective cross-functional relationships. And again, each can be expanded upon. So happy to expand upon it now or later. Okay. There's one question Ramji has, how do you communicate or get alignment in situations where stakeholder incentives are misaligned? Yeah. So yeah, this happens all the time. Stakeholders are misaligned from us and they're seeking different goals and whatnot. This is nearly impossible to solve in certain organizations just because it's too late, right? It's so this sort of approach is so embedded in the culture of the organization which is my incentives are different. And some people will just explicitly say it, right? It's actually even better if they explicitly say it than if they don't. Some say, hey, our incentives are misaligned, right? I'm not going to try to solve for that because the only way to solve in that situation is go through the official channels, which is escalate. But you knew that anyway, right? So like, I don't need to say that. But don't be afraid to escalate is a core point. If this is like a pretty not great. Okay. And by the way, when I say pretty not great, that is actually more in my experience, more than 50% of companies in like in tech have a pretty not great culture. So yeah. So many people are in that culture and the only answer is go through the official channels, but for the other side of things, right? Like sometimes people are misaligned because let's assume like good cultures where every, like what is a good culture in the sense is people are working towards a common sort of bigger goal, right? And are not just fixated on their local goal for their own kind of own progress. And they generally the expectation is that you'll put company progress and mission progress before just your personal agendas at work, right? Let's assume that's what I mean by these kind of better cultures or good cultures. In those situations, when there is misalignment, it is useful, first of all, to point people towards that bigger goal, whatever that is. Right. And again, to do it in a classy, respectful way, right? Here's a concrete example. So let's say you are talking to what's a good department. Let's say you're talking to, let's pick legal, right? Let's say you're talking to legal and there's like, there, they have some incentives and whatever, and you need a certain 
product to be launched in a certain way and you're having a discussion about it and you're finding it very hard to make progress with legal because you feel like they have different incentives. Maybe they have too much of the risk mitigation incentive, right? At that point, it is useful to point out a bigger goal, which is look like the reason we are doing this is because we have this kind of revenue OKR or whatever it is, whatever that bigger goal is at the company level, right? And this project is going to be a meaningful contributor to that OKR, right? So I understand that this adds more risk. Where do we go from here? Right? Because it seems to me, and so I'm like literally sharing what I would say, right? It seems to be that we're both in a place where we want to do right what's right for the company. However, it seems like the question of what's right for the company, we might have slightly different answers to that question, or perhaps significantly different answers to that question. Is my read right here or am I missing something? So that's how I will approach the beginning of that conversation, right? Where I'm leaving room for them to say, no, actually, like I am quite aligned or whatever, right? So again, remember like every problem that you encounter in these kind of interpersonal situations is a messaging problem, right? So like you, again, you, if you prepare, you rehearse, you can figure out the right message, but I would start there because then now I'll have a concrete information. Either they'll say, yes we are indeed misaligned, right? We, like your view of what's right for the company is not congruent to my view for what's right for the company. Sure, that's one possibility. So now let's talk about that, right? And how, we, how might we resolve that? Who's, whose advice should we seek to figure out which path to, to take here, given the misalignment, right? So instead of going through 10 more meetings, You've now said, okay, in this one meeting, we figured out there is some misunderstanding. Let's resolve that misunderstanding of what the priorities are and what's right for the company here, given this tough situation. In the other case, if they say, no, actually, we're not misaligned. It's just that like my boss is like right now, because of some incident last month, my boss is really being difficult about anything that requires this kind of approval. Okay, so now they've told you that there is actually not a fundamental misalignment, but there is some other kind of organizational issue that is getting in the way. And then there is a way to solve that, right? Which is, hey, can, do you think it might help for us to, both of us to speak with your boss, right? And kind of convince him or her or whatever it is. Like there could be a dozen of different situations here, but now you can problem solve together. You are now problem solving together because you, you asked that crucial question up front. So that's roughly how I would approach is let's figure out if there is a fundamental misalignment of incentives, or if there is an temporary apparent challenge that you can both problem solve to align the incentives. And this approach and this framework works for pretty much any situation. Obviously the specifics will vary. All right. I'll take one more question on this topic. Yeah, Nitul, go ahead. I wanted to build upon Parshikhariji's question on uh, managing stakeholder expectations. If, and I think to the earlier point of having, starting a meeting with the lower key, curious about how do we manage or any advice on 
managing a stakeholder with a negative perception about you differently than the ones which are like neutral or positive. Any SF experiences when somebody has a bad taste primarily because of think we didn't care enough back in the day or we didn't get it. Is there any advice that we would handle it differently for those stakeholders differently than the others which are neutral or positive? I see. So this is where they had a negative perception of your function or your team or of you? Oh, of you. Okay. All right. So there was some negative perception in the past. And now what's the situation? Are you trying to, like, I guess the answer to this question mainly depends on whether that negative perception was just a mis misunderstanding or was there a real issue and are you now taking a different approach or are you going to take the same approach so just help me understand so i can then provide a more useful perspective yeah i think it's hard to know i think this it goes back to the annual review when we get 360 degree feedback so it's hard to know like which stakeholder give what feedback so that's like a general feedback from your manager that tells that some stakeholders have negative but like some of them are positive and it's, it's lopsided in some ways so in having that lopsided feedback, it's hard to know that some stakeholders have a completely positive, highly recommend, and some are like some slightly negative. Then it goes back to like, how do we manage some stakeholders differently than others? So any advice on that? It's hard to know what went wrong really in these review cycles. And usually these are confidential and not really nailed down to one specific theme. So how do we usually tackle such situations? Any, any advice in, in your I see. Okay. Okay. So it's a general kind of general negative perception that came in through some performance review potentially. Okay. If we take that situation, let's see, what would I advise somebody to do in this situation? Okay. So the first thing you really need to, before you go talk to anybody, you know, on that, in that function or this, let's say, again, let's pick your manager said, oh yeah, it seems like legal doesn't enjoy working with you. That's the feedback, right? And so before you go talk to legal, you first need to figure out like, Hey, what's going on? What did I do? What am I doing right now that may be causing this? And maybe use your manager's help for that as well. But you really need to understand sort of your version of the problem. Now, why do I say this? I say this because I have managed many people for many years who basically like when something like this happened, their immediate reaction was, yeah, because legal is a shit show and they have all these problems and blah, blah. And this person's incompetent and we get mixed signals, incentives are misaligned, right? When you are in that space. And then these people will go talk to this person in that space. It's not going to be a productive conversation because, you know, PMs, we are sharp and we can argue really well, most of us. And so whatever our, like, by the way, this is why some functions don't like us because like we argue, like we are aggressive or at least we are more, even if we are not overtly aggressive, we are more aggressive than most other functions perhaps with the exception of engineering in most places, PM is viewed as a fairly aggressive function. And so what happens when we don't do that self-inquiry and we just say, ah, this is the system, right? There's some something wrong in the, the system. I accept the feedback, but the feedback exists because there's something wrong with the system. And you have that conversation with your legal counterpart it's not going to work because you're going to say also like the legal counterpart is not going to feel heard. 
and it's just it's going to be an analytical conversation but it's not going to the next performance review it's going to be the same thing okay this is why this step is really important like you you need to own some of this you can't just say oh it's everybody else i'm just fine but i just got caught in this like unfortunate web of the system so that's the first step so assume you've done this step sincerely right maybe there are a couple of points that come to mind which is oh yeah in that instance when we were trying to get that thing I was quite pushy about the whole thing and instead of having a conversation with my legal counterpart because we were in a rush i immediately escalated to the vp and that made the legal counterpart feel bad right because like i should have first talked to them i should have at least given them the heads up on the escalation because they were blindsided by it whatever it is right these things happen i've seen these things happen many times so figure out like what was it and then approach them and then say look i really am looking to improve my relationship and how i work with legal and you are my legal counterpart so therefore i want to however good our relationship may be right now i want to make it better so that way you avoid the no everything is fine some people don't want to deal with conflict so they might just say oh no it's okay even though they wrote a bad review for you like in person they might just say it's okay to so say even if we have a good relationship i want to make it better and i was just thinking about some of some instances where perhaps i have not stayed true to my to my aspiration of forging a really good relationship and share that example right start with that and then see what they say right give them something concrete right own up to whatever it is that you may have done suboptimally that's the way to go about it right but it requires again like a very difficult conversation but again i'll repeat these conversations are not difficult if you can find the right words usually we struggle for the right words and so then we avoid the conversation and then we only end up hurting ourselves in the end and again i'm not saying finding the right words is easy but if you think hard hard enough you will come up with the right words and at some point those words will become second nature right like for instance i get calls all the time from like founders who are trying to have a hard conversation with somebody on their team i'll ask a few questions but once i ask them a few questions i can give them like within a few seconds okay this is approximately what i would say and like i actually give them words related to this because a lot of this is about communication and like related to this last thing i'll say is one thing i found very useful when trying to do these conversations is to go to a coach so we used to at stripe get assigned like just there was a coach who's like office hour style executive coach and you could just sign up on her calendar so anytime i had a difficult conversation i would go to her and her name is lucy and i would ask lucy i have this situation what should i say and lucy did the whole coach thing and she asked questions and what do you think and like all the coach stuff and then at some point she would i would say lucy can you share with me okay so i'm now aligned what i need to do can you share with me how you might say it and then lucy would say whatever she said for 30 seconds or a minute and i would go wow that is amazing i would have not thought of framing it this way and like i would note it down and i did it often enough with lucy that i actually got very good at it as well i was not good at this i was actually quite terrible at this but like having done it often enough and seen her do it one it instilled the confidence that oh actually it can be done there is a drastically different way to message in this situation and then you start seeing kind of patterns like okay this is what so now i coach others on this even though even like i wouldn't say 6 7 years ago i wasn't very good at it so i hope that helps all right let's see you know what instead of going through 
let me see if there's any other question on the because we covered so much ground through some of these questions and some of the frameworks i know that some other questions here but some of the frameworks i shared are just applicable to some of these other questions as well so that's good okay tackle this question because it's important there's just a question about executive presence and uh, there's a question about how do you practice verbal communication i've shared that already Okay, let me tackle this topic of executive presence because it's really vital. Beyond a certain level, you are going to need some amount of kind of executive presence to be recognized for just for all the great work you do. And some people just have the gift of executive presence. The same way some people just have the gift of design sense and some people have the gift of being organized and some people have the gift of strong product sense and whatever else, right? Some people just have the gift of executive presence. Sometimes what happens is that if you're really great at it, and if you're in an organization that cares deeply about it, and that gets influenced by it, then even if the person's not great at the PM job, they get promoted faster than the other PMs. Because, and in fact, the conversation in these committees, or whatever, in the rooms where this happens, is yeah, we understand this person's not, but I, we think he'll be, he or she will be a great leader. Right. That's the conversation. And I've seen this people from all. And by the way, it's not restricted to people from one background, right? Like people from all sorts of backgrounds, genders, race, ethnicities, country of origin, immigration status, right? Like across those, there are some people who are just gifted. And when they are, they actually get promoted because people understand that like they, they're actually not that great at the PM job. But there's the hope that they'll do like the management of PM job better. And some of them actually do that much better. <laughs> Not all of them, but there are some that do that really well. Okay. Now, what are the rest of us to do, right? That don't have this gift of executive presence. It turns out that it's a skill that can be built and made better, right? And all it requires is practice and commitment to do it. Will you be, will you have the world's best executive presence by just working on it? Probably not. Just you can't be the world's best tennis player, I don't care how much you practice, right? It's just not going to happen, right? You can't be in the NBA, right? Like no matter how much you practice, unless you have some gifts, right? And you certainly can't be MVP in the NBA without a certain set of gifts. Okay. This is not possible, okay? But don't dissuade yourself from working on it just because, because I said that. Because there's this misconception in society that like, oh, anybody can be world-class at anything, right? And athletes even say, oh, I'm here because I worked hard, right? So you need to understand that it's okay. Like you are at a three right now. It's fine to get to five and that'll require hard work. But guess what? If you go from a three to five in executive presence, and if you're good at some other aspects of your job, I think somebody needs to mute because there's background noise. So if you get better at some other aspects of the job, you are actually going to do quite well. Okay. Let me mute them. All right. So anyway, long story short, like you should be beyond a certain level thinking about your executive presence. How do you go about it? It's a combination of there's the public speaking element to it. There is the listening element to it. There is the voice. How does your voice sound? And you can actually kind of change your voice and make it have more gravitas, right? It's how you enunciate. It's the words you use. And what else? And it's like your overall body language as well. 
right? And that's where some of these techniques come in, appear larger. And my, like one of my executive coaches, when I asked them about executive presence, they said to me, and I don't do this, but they said to me, put your camera, because this was in the Zoom world, they said, make sure your camera is below your eye level. Because you don't want to be looking at the camera like this, because that doesn't exude executive presence. You want to be looking down at the camera, right? There's all sorts of like body language things associated with this executive, these tactics and whatnot. Now the tactics by themselves won't make you great at executive presence, but they do emphasize something that you've already built, right? Now you don't have to do it. You don't have to do this. But if you're highly ambitious, then, and if you want to scale, especially the very high levels of management in most places, not all places, but in most places, you'll need to be cognizant of this. Last thing I'll say on this topic is with this kind of whole thing of written cultures, there is actually this kind of notion of with the writing cultures, what's happening is that like some of this kind of verbal, the charisma, the verbal executive presence has become less important in the writing cultures. Now, I personally like that because I don't have the gift of executive presence. You can see, I don't have the gift of executive presence. So I like such culture. I like being in such cultures, but then what happens to some people is like when they, if you have great ex, like verbal presence and you join a writing culture, you're going to get really frustrated because you know, the same things that used to work for you no longer work. Because maybe you are a good writer, but not a great writer. And now all the influence is happening through writing. And so also be aware of why this is happening and like also be aware of what culture you're joining. And if you say, you know what, I want to bring my executive presence from three to six, but I'm not willing or able to do the hard work to bring it from six to nine, then, but if you think writing is a better way you can influence, then maybe consider a writing culture, right? So that's like another way to think about how you might make moves. Now, don't do it just for that reason, but I've observed recently that people are actually able to get much farther because of these writing cultures, even though their like actual executive presence is not that great. Okay, we are right at time. And so we will pause this session here. There's obviously a lot to cover, but hopefully some of the ideas, frameworks, scripts were helpful in all sorts of situations. We'll look, be on the lookout for the notes. And also I'll post the recording sometime in the next, I want to say I am traveling. So let's just say in the next four or five days, I'll post the recording, but thank you all for joining. And I, again, appreciate you all. There's so many people here. I appreciate you all joining with, with having changed this event a few times, but I'm glad we were able to have, make it happen. Bye everyone. Thanks. Ruth. Thank you. Bye.